0: Hi, I'm Ishan Sharma and as many of you might know, Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna is no more. They died in a helicopter crash and I was so shocked about with this news. The first time when I saw it, I could not believe it. I was like sure this 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 must be a fake news but then later on when I looked up uh, it came out to be true and I was so shocked about this and I just couldn't believe it. like. For me, he was like the last person I would ever expect something so unfortunate to happen. Uh, he was just such a great person. Uh, he was uh, hugely talented and he worked harder than ever before. He used to get up at four o'clock every single day, even after he got re- retired. And recently I was listening to his uh, his podcast interview on uh, on the School of Greatness by Lewis House. And I was really motivated by his you know, the first time I listened to him, I was in uh, 11th grade. I was having a hard time with uh, J preparation, and his ideologies and uh, perspective of life really moved me. Like he was just such a kind person, and uh, he was honest. He was kind, and I mean, this is this is just really sad, guys. And I hope you will pray for his daughter, Gianna, and for his mother. Vanessa for three girls Kobe left behind who lost their father and their sister and for his friends who were on their flight with him uh, and the pilot and the other people who died this is just really sad and for me he was like a he was like a bright light against the darkness and that's just how I want to remember him Kobe I will miss you All right, now moving on to this week's episode, uh, we got Sharad Chitlangia, who is a Harvard intern, and he's already worked at startups. And he really uh, is an amazing person. Uh, we talked a bunch about how did he got how did he got into machine learning, some of the obstacles he had to go through, and you know it was just a really good talk. I hope you guys will learn something from it. Let me know what you think about the episode uh, by reaching out to me on social media at ishan sharma 7390 and also share this with a friend who you think needs to know about this episode okay uh, now let's just get on with the episode now Welcome back to a brand new podcast episode. I'm Ishan Sharma and you are listening to BitsCast. This is episode number nine. And today with me, I have, uh, I have Sharachit Langya, who is a third year right here in Goa pursuing uh, electrical and instrumentation engineering. Uh, he's a machine learning god and
1: I'm not doing electrom- electronics at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, okay. And I'm also uh, co-hosting with uh, Hari Shothia Kumar, who came on f- onto my podcast for episode number four. Uh, I hope you all will enjoy it, and let's get started. Hello, uh, Sharad, how are you doing today, man?
1: Um, really good, because I just woke up. You just woke up, feeling good, huh? Yeah. Ready for the conversation? <laughs> yeah.
2: And Harish, how are you? I'm pretty good. I just came back from Punjab.
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. You had a nice lunch.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Mojo bar. <laughs> Mojo
0: bar. So how's it going, bro? Like, uh, how's your third year, second semester, and your second year, third semester, second semester going on?
1: Third year, second semester, it's almost about to end. What uh, are your impressions? Electronics is almost about to end. That's the good part. How yeah. do you feel? Uh, mixed feelings, I guess. Mixed that's, feelings. That's what I'm saying, right? Electronics is ending. That's what yeah. I'm happy about. Was it about.
0: as monstrous as it was documented by your seniors?
1: I don't know because none of my seniors actually told me that, you know. It'll be like, it'll be like so hard or something. I mean, it's definitely hard. You had the better part
0: of (laughs) seniors. (laughs) Uh,
1: I don't know, actually, most of us, uh, most of my seniors were, at least the seniors who I was, you know, talking a lot to, they were pretty much uh, involved in ML and AI since the start. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, pretty much like me. Same year, man. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's nice. And Harish, how's it
2: going with you? A semester. Yeah. Mm it's pretty tough like I'm usually super busy a lot of extra classes in fact there was an extra class for one of my humanities like Mm -hmm. who really cares about humanities yeah so 2-2 is way more busier than my 2-1 and yeah I mean what's your what's your branch EC oh so I just feel I should go back to my first year when I was like super free and just chilling with
1: friends miss my first year though Mm. this semester is different because I'm actually attending classes oh you're finally attending classes yeah I mean, you know, I've finally realized that, okay, just one week before studying before the exam won't, Mm you know.
0: So you had a lot of time in the first and second year. What was your journey like in machine learning? How did you uh, get started with machine learning?
1: Pretty much, you know, some CTE courses. I took some CTE courses. So you do believe in
0: CTE, like it's not a scam or something?
1: It's a good, you know, it's... It's a good scam. It's a good scam. Yeah, it's a good scam. <laughs> People used to call it scam in our year. I don't think it's like a scam anymore because uh-huh. um, they, you know, make their expenses and everything public. I mean, you can obviously make changes to that yeah. and make it public, <laughs> but uh, it's changing a number on the Google sheet. Yeah, but still, um, I think it's what's good about it is that it gives you a push in the direction to that you want to explore. Gives you mentors too, right? Uh, honestly, like. Um. yeah I don't know I mean deep learning there was this course on deep learning on campus mm-hmm. the the instructors were not so good oh, okay but okay. I mean it's fine because they're students first time teaching yeah. whatever and there was this course on reinforcement learning in C T. okay and those instructors were the best they were probably they were probably better than <laughs> even some of most of our professors okay students yeah students are better easily. than our professors easily
0: Oh my god. What so courses were they taking like Huh? What courses were they taking? They were like all uh, CS231 from Stanford and stuff.
1: What courses had they taken? Yeah, like I I'm, I'm not sure but uh in our in our years, they were, you know, um like the gods. Okay. <laughs> and so now you're your name's you. No, you. <laughs> you're not. So there's this guy uh Vazir Zulfikar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Santi. Sahith Brambe Kodi mm. and Preetam And where are they right now? Wazir right. did his thesis in MIT. Okay, oh. wow. Sebastian Santi went to, um, he did two socks, like, consecutively. Second oh. and third year? Yeah. Oh second and God. third year, second year with Mozilla. Oh. Okay. And third year with? Julia. Julia. That's, it's pretty hard to mm. get selected for that because so many people apply for that. And then with third year GSOC in Julia, he was also at UCL doing a research and internship. Mm-hmm. And then he went to CMU for a research and internship. Mm-hmm. And now he's at Microsoft Research as an AI oh. research fellow. I'm so telling you, it's, yeah, it's, it's like the toughest thing to get selected. And, and what was his branch? Electronics and Electronics. And instrumentation.
2: <laughs> is it? Is it like most of these electronics <laughs> students end up in ML, like... Every single time I, you know, s- go through people's, like, ML people's LinkedIn profile, they're usually pursuing
1: electronics engineering. The thing with CS people is, they have too many options, and mm-hmm. that's what, you know, keeps them hanging around somewhere. Mm-hmm. The thing with electronics people is, at some point in your first year, you know that, you know, you, if you don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. buck up your asses and do something, you won't get a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in electronics, mm-hmm. yeah. nowadays it's not that's not true because some peop- some companies even come for internships. The, the, uh, mm-hmm. You know, last time they came, this yeah. time also they'll they'll probably come. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, at that point, it was not like that. So, I think it's just about that, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They have choices. They have a lot of. So you are saying like
2: like for electronic students, they're spoiled with choices. The oh, they have to So yeah, to do. continue. <laughs> so for <laughs> electronic students, you are saying uh, ML is like an exit point. It it just helps them, you know, get a job straight away. Like even they have choices, right? Even they can get into web development and all the other options.
1: Yeah, definitely. So if you see Sandy's profile, he was actually more of a software developer before than ML research. He was mm-hmm.
0: into what web development or app?
1: Yeah, like I think pretty much everything. Oh, so. everything. Yeah. So and what was the CG, CGPA? I think 7, something above 7. Does uh, CGPA matter? CGPA does matter.
0: But not for him because... Yeah, the for CGPA, people
1: like him? I think it matters, but... um, So, I, I do not think he would have gotten selected as a research fellow mm-hmm. if he had a CGPA of less than 7. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you're saying if anything's above 7, then for electronics, free to seven. choose
2: and explore different fields.
1: If I think if you're above eight eight point five electronics then you're safe but it's too hard to be eight above eight exactly. eight, point mm-hmm. eight, point mm-hmm. eight point five especially electronics mm-hmm. especially like um, I think most people will see a drop in the C G P A in three one or three two mm-hmm. but it'll what courses are the hard-
0: hardest in like? Are it'll
1: probably increase at the end because of PS two thesis anyway okay. mm-hmm. yeah so um, electronics I think electronics and communication does not have power electronics but and even i haven't done power electronics right now i'm doing it hmm. but there's this course called um, analog design analog and advd yeah analog and vlsi design oh mm-hmm. everyone hates it bro i'm telling you the average of that course was 55 out of 200 oh and uh. the and like i think one of our courses before that had a um nc hmm. you know what do you call it uh, threshold of like 40 so if Whoa. that was tr- exactly if that if that was true in it A- i didn't think it was true in advd okay but if you had it to drop the nc threshold <coughs> exactly. in that case i don't know i don't know what exactly it had happened, happened to
2: like one of our courses last semester we had something called ed and yeah. even its av was around 50 out of 200 yeah so ed so so maybe I think advd
1: they're like <laughs> in the same lot yeah
0: how did you get your uh, Harvard internship?
1: Oh, yeah. You studied at Harvard. Yeah. So, um, okay. I'll tell you. So, um, first semester I did, you know, those CTE. I didn't, I never attended those CTE classes. I went for like one mm. class in, I think, three classes. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Instructors were not good. Yeah. So, I went to the RL one every class mm-hmm. because it was too good.
0: What project so, did you make? Uh, was it like the Atari 88?
1: No, no, no. I didn't think I could... So two people in the end completed the project. Me and Ajay, if you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was playing badminton or something. Yeah. Table tennis over there.
1: So what happened was... Uh, later on... So actually I used to do online courses for these things. CS231 I used to do. Mm. For Stanford deep learning. And RL I used to do the Udacity one. Mm-hmm. Because there there wasn't... I don't think the course on... The course by... David Silver or Sergey Levine was there then Anyway Coming back mm-hmm. to that Okay so I did those courses Yeah Then I think ideal had just formed
0: Who was the founder? Were you the founder?
1: No I was one of I was In Co- like members. the initial members Okay But I wasn't the founder
0: How do you found How do you fu- Like make a club Here yeah. in Bitskowa?
1: We are unofficial so Okay We, don't, we are not official It's we like the dynamic club uh, Yeah We don't need to be official. We don't need anything. Yeah, exactly.
2: You want to associate
1: it with the ad, so it doesn't matter. So, the founders were Pranav Garg and Alish Dipani. Okay. Okay. So, Alish was very, I think, in second year only, right, at that point. So, he did not know much. But he knew probably more than any second year, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think the initial members were um, me, Pranav, Mm -hmm. Alish then there's this guy Mehul Rastogi Mehul Rastogi then Aviraj Hinge Hinge, Mm. sorry and uh, Rijul Gamili so we mm -hmm. were like the six people Mm. were there initially so what happened was Pranav at that time knew a lot probably you know he knew everything state of the art everything so um, he told us to do a project on uh, speech accent transformation basically I take Mm -hmm. let's say I take your speech and I want to transform it okay let's say we take my speech and we want to transform it to the accent that you have mm-hmm. at Whoa. the starting of the
0: yeah yeah that, that is possible that is yeah, possible exactly <laughs> so,
1: so so that's what you know the project idea was but then what happened was, uh, there was so this was actually a research idea at that time it, mm-hmm. nobody had published anything on this so Baidu research actually came up with their own system for this in February mm-hmm. so what we were planning we had to drop because they had mm-hmm. already published so what we instead did was just implement that paper okay so neural voice company was our first paper mm-hmm. then i did an internship in a startup then what startup um it's a it's called, its name is unfound oh yeah fake, fake news, news. fake yeah, news misinformation detection yeah, right right that one so yeah it's you know, how it's was the experience like in there pretty good i think. I mean. They does treated it have a me pretty good for a first year ride, I think. Does it have a you were f- first
0: year ride, when You were there.
1: Yeah.
2: It. does it have a Betsy and founder? No, no, no. Okay.
1: <coughs> they treated me, treated me pretty good as a, for a first year ride because obviously I did not I did not know NLP mm-hmm. a lot of NLP at that time. Mm-hmm. So um, what happened was I used to just... so it was an unpaid internship, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to go there, and uh, first. I think the first week at least I used to just watch cs224n videos mm-hmm. and then I used to, I mean not like the whole day just then uh, you know just watching cs224n, I used to experiment with their, um, they had a database of all their articles which they had collected. So what they, they essentially, so they would build on that, you know, first mm-hmm. they to collect a database. Then so I used to experiment with that. So first, first few weeks was that, mm. <laughs> because I had nothing to do. I did not know anything. So then, what happened was, um, they used to I st- I worked on this task task of basically system. Uh, sorry, um, switching f- their information retrieval system from um, like something that's syntactic based essentially. Uh, can you see that in simpler words? Yeah, that's <laughs> what Le-mantic. I am trying to, <laughs> that's what <it's> trying to <laughs> do. So sem- semantic means, you know, the word meaning. You can understand it. Okay. Like, um, how does that, how, how does the word, what does, what does the word mean? In sentence, mm. but syntax means
0: the normal grammar. Like,
1: no, not yeah that. And also, you know, just the, um, you know, just the general. Okay. Structure of it. Yeah. <clears throat> So, um, so that was a bad cause if you're not able to capture the meanings of a word, hmm. so you won't be able to get the proper meaning of the sentence in the first place. So, um, what we, so essentially what the first thing that we did was just, you know, take like embeddings of the words, just average them out and you have a representation of the sentence. Mm-hmm. And then we used to do this for the whole document by averaging that out. And then if I had a query, let's say. Um Hindu um, what's that N-R-C-C-A mm. or something. Mm-hmm. <coughs> sorry so I can type that in yeah and it would create an embedding for that and it would try to match it with that mm-hmm. and if it had a score of let's say some threshold greater than some threshold then you know we would put that in the retrieved articles mm-hmm. okay so we used to retrieve five articles through this way mm. and then we had a very complex system for the top article Mm -hmm. so that's a bit hard to explain but anyway so I switched this then uh, then what happened was these embeddings called ELMO came so Mm -hmm. ELMO stands for embeddings from language models I think Mm -hmm. so that was like the state of the art in NLP that time and um, so it's actually from Allen AI it's a research organization in University of Washington I think Mm -hmm. and uh, so at that point, um, when I used to read that model, when I used to read the paper for that model, it was, you know, I always used to think, how can people even, you know, beat this? This is such a complex system. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we, what we did was we just used Elmo embeddings, Elmo embeddings basically rather than just converting a word to its, uh, word meaning it would pass it through a deep network mm-hmm. okay. and then produce. And embedding, So that's mm-hmm. how it got better. And it had this contextual thing, contextual thing. Mm. So let's say, uh, you have, um, you know, two words, you can say, I'm playing the guitar or I'm, uh, I'm playing cricket. Mm. So although they mean the same thing, you know, that, uh, you're doing some activity okay, or whatever, yeah. but they have like very different contexts. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, essentially it would help in that mm-hmm. the elmo model it was really good at that so we just you know switched the uh, information retrieval model we built our we wrote our own scripts for elmo we trained it on fine tuned it on our data sets mm-hmm. and everything and then we deployed that on an api so that's what we did. that's what we did okay okay so at that point we used to think how how can you know elmo cannot be beaten it's so good mm. and then i think 3 or 4 months later <laughs> came along bert came along bert okay b e r t mm-hmm. and bert has been like the standard for around 2 years now yeah and uh, <coughs> improvements that you can see on top of bert will only be you know by such a small score so let's say that so there's a model called excelnet net mm-hmm. and why it um why it's better than BERT is just because uh they had massively trained that model or on around five hundred twelve TPUs. Do you know mm-hmm. what TPUs are? No. Okay, TPUs are custom um so they're like GPUs but mm-hmm. for neural network training mm-hmm. and okay. inference. Okay. So they're like a specialized chip. That's why it's called ASIC. Mm-hmm. Um okay. Now TPUs are made for that and they're like they're expensive as shit like it's, they're so expensive I think mm. it's around $24 an hour or something oh. I don't know I'm not sure the exact for number hour. yeah okay so so they had trained it on 512 TPUs for I think I don't know a very long time or whatever so yeah massively tri- pre-training that and mm-hmm. then they got some so essentially you know BERT is now like the standard since 2 mm-hmm. two years so okay yeah coming back to that whole hard-known so I did that internship. <laughs> <laughs> Digressed to some exactly, point like trip. a tangent. <laughs> yeah. So I did that internship and then I came back to one and I did some projects. One of them was on autonomous drones. Yeah. So why I'm telling you all this, it's kind of connected. Because mm-hmm. when I was at Unfound, I used to um we used to read a lot of articles to understand what's happening with the system. So I got pretty interested in drones. Mm-hmm. And uh because I think R- uh, people testing out reinforcement learning on drones and not as drones mm-hmm. just started then. NVIDIA so we w- we actually were um, we actually had an article on this NVIDIA uh, drone mm-hmm. trailing along you know forest trails or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what got me you know interested in this project and then what then we did a project over here on that like it was essentially just replicating what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So, so like what, did they doing, sorry, what they were doing, sorry, what Huh? A-ro-D for that. No, 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 no. It was totally without them, anyway. Okay, okay. So, we, so we pitched it to this triple department mm-hmm. and they have these fundings for mm-hmm. projects, I oh. think around 20,000 or something mm-hmm. for one semester. So, we used their money to buy some hardware and uh, we also got that institute funding thing, which is around 50,000. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so we didn't actually use that fifty thousand. We only used like I think twenty thousand. So oh, wow. our total budget was I think around thirty six forty thousand. Mm-hmm. So we got. So why we need that was um, first of all we need the drone yeah. eleven thousand rupees. Mm-hmm. Then we need so we had so there's this uh, what's it called yeah Nvidia Jetson. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's like a very small. GPU-based computers. Do you know Raspai? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's like Raspberry, but mm-hmm. with an NVIDIA GPU. Okay, so, um, now what, the thing with that is, it has a development board, like, you know, it has a total carrier module, mm-hmm. but it's very, very heavy. So, we needed a custom carrier module, which was not heavy, mm-hmm. because if we put something really heavy on our drone, yeah. then it won't fly it for won't a long fly. time. So, we bought that custom carrier, mm-hmm. and it was actually, I think, around 9,000 rupees, but then it was coming uh from the United States, and uh, oh. I think when it reached over here, I got an email saying that you have to pay four thousand rupees or else <laughs> as duty or else you know oh, we, we won't, yeah we won't let it pass or whatever, mm-hmm. so I had to pay that so you know, I think like if there was some way to cut off this fifteen thousand rupees cost, we could have, but mm-hmm. um at that time we couldn't, so we just got that we we made our drone. Mm. And we made our... So we were making the software and the hardware had, parallelly. Okay, mm-hmm. we we were like five people. I was leading them. So um, two people on software and two people on hardware. One of them was in r d mm-hmm. One of them was in ERC. Mm-hmm. One of mm-hmm. them is working for the um, rover project. Okay. So they knew, you know, things. Mm-hmm. The thing, what happened was... Um, one of our rotors would always... Always run faster than the others. So, when we were trying to, you know, fly it. Yeah. It would just, you know, it go really, like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you making some sort of jalebi in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, we actually never got to test our models on the drone. Mm-hmm. But we could see in simulation that it, it was working pretty good.
0: Okay. What software did you use for that?
1: So, um, what's the name? I forgot. Uh, we obviously use ROS for the ROS mm-hmm. for the basic thing yeah. but uh, ROS has this basic simulator what's it gazebo yeah mm-hmm. so gazebo we use just to see if the you know like our ROS system is working or not mm-hmm. but to we'll do but to do the actual system uh, test the actual system we add on an air sim air sim is like Microsoft's um, you know uh, custom environment generator and you know mm-hmm. those things for um, these kind of, uh, autonomous things, like All right. drones, vehicles, cars, you can, you know, put your drone and then you can create whatever environment you mm. want, but it's primarily for drones, air, sim. Okay. Okay. So we had to test, we had, we tested on that. It was working, but so what I think like when we started, our goal was that, um, we could record a wicked video and then post it on our websites or GitHub. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? this is a working model. Mm. But we could never do, do that because um, it never, you know, actually got yeah. working because mm. it was doing that weird thing. So um, long story short, it was working, but, um, you know, we had yeah. no way of showing it was working. Mm-hmm. Mm. Except for the simulation. Yeah. So what happened was, so then essentially, you know, what I thought was, okay, let, I'll just post the code on GitHub. You know, let's see mm-hmm. whatever, whatever happens, we'll see. So I posted the code on GitHub and then, because we were, and we were like, you know, so our model was also only like deep learning based, like, okay. you know, totally. So let's say an image will, we'll feed an image to the model mm-hmm. and it will just tell us the actions. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like take a left, take a right, take right or go straight. So how we would take left or right is, you know, turn the drone by 45 degrees and move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what
3: was he, because,
1: because what you was cannot, the
2: drone like? when you say autonomous drone, like what is its ultimate purpose? Or like delivery or, or stuff. It yeah, you can do that. You so can you do... say this is point A, this is point B, go whatever uh,
1: path has. It was has actually more towards, uh, you know, so NVIDIA, I think, did this project because uh, I think they wanted to sell it as, let's say, people who want to trek, hmm. want their, you know, videos recorded or something, mm-hmm. so they can use this. Mm. but i think Technology this has, exactly card. so this has applications uh, this has lot of applications in you know mine like exploring mm-hmm. and underground mines and all those things mm-hmm. if you can cu- couple this with low light imagery mm-hmm. and exactly mm-hmm. so you can do those things yeah it's essentially you know helpful for things that humans cannot do can be used for like amazon deliveries it can be i
2: think amazon is already like testing them a yeah. lot. Yeah, I was testing it. Do they use a similar technology?
1: We don't know. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, closely related. Uh, sh- One second, yeah, sorry. So then what happened was since we were facing that problem of, uh, um, so we were only using deep learning, right? And mm-hmm. we never found we never found this act. So do you know guys? Do you guys know about OpenAI Gym? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So OpenAI Gym is like a library mm-hmm. for training deep reinforcement learning agents. Mm-hmm. So what? You do is you create an agent. Yeah. What do you have deep Reinforcement. Deep reinforcement learning is... Um, so let's let's talk about reinforcement learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what reinforcement learning is... I have an environment. Mm-hmm. I have an agent. And the
2: what's agent...
1: What's an environment and what's an agent? Environment. I'm telling <laughs> <Okay>. you. <laughs> so environment is like the world. Okay. 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 Yeah. You create an artificial world. That's mm-hmm. the environment. Agent... Basically, is an entity who has a job to do in that environment. Okay, okay. and how will the agent figure out what to do in the environment? Mm-hmm. The environment has rewards hmm, fixed yeah. in
2: exactly
1: in itself. The more so, you walk, the more rewards. Yeah. something like that. So basically, what happens is the agent takes some sort of action. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, I input an action mm-hmm. to the environment, and then the environment will tell me how good is that action. It will tell me what the next observation is. Mm-hmm. And basically your agent should be dependent on the, observa- uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the observation. So you, you feed the observation into the agent and it will tell you, okay, what action should I take? Mm. And what the environment will do is in turn, take that action and tell you back how good that action is mm. and what the next observation is. So mm-hmm. let's say for this trail net example only, like, you know, trailing the forest, on some trail. Okay. So you have a drone, you put that, put it at the starting point Mm -hmm. and you, you're training some sort of deep reinforcement learning agent. Okay. So what, let's say you're taking random actions at first, random actions at first. It'll obviously have, it'll obviously be that because your policy and everything is Mm -hmm. untrained. Okay. Mm -hmm. Policy is like how you're taking actions based on observations. So you go ahead. The environment tells you, this is right if you go left and there's like you know bushes on the left Mm. it'll tell you that this is bad Mm. so you get a negative reward and you your next observation is you're just looking at bushes Mm -hmm. and obviously if you're looking at bushes you don't know what to do you Mm. cannot see a trail yeah so this is bad this is bad experience Mm. I don't have to do this this is what the agent understands okay and then it will not do this and then it will go straight and this is how it learns okay yeah (laughs) Why are you laughing?
0: Why <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Continue.
1: Anyway. You, know, you can tell your audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the way you're, exp- you're explaining it, it's like...
2: <laughs> what? No. Nothing. <laughs> anyway. Is it too simplistic?
0: Uh, uh, no, it's, it's fine. Right?
1: Anyway. Uh, you continue. have to
2: oversimplify it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Should I... M- no, no, no. no. Is, now is fine. Is it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. This is okay. <laughs> This is the best play I can get. So, um, so the thing with, uh, so what happened at a point was I realized that there's no, you know, like a control, complete loop controller based simulator mm-hmm. for uh, uh, drones, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, that you have some environments for drones and then you take actions and the environment tells you, okay, this is bad or, you know, this is good, mm-hmm. whatever there's nothing like that it did not exist till then so i so i saw that project on that professor's page oh. and i just reached who out to him who was in harvard yeah so i just reached out to him that you know i was doing this project but just we mm-hmm. could never find this but it seems from your project that you have some sort of framework or library mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he told me that yeah they were they, they had built a library and um, this is their preprint for the paper mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it was under review at a conference so I told him that would he be willing to discuss about this or mm-hmm. whatever. So yeah, he said, uh, he, I mean, he told me yes, but it was like, I think two or three weeks in because his okay. schedule was too busy, mm-hmm. which is understandable. Yeah. But I was like really glad. Mm-hmm. And I think the time we agreed upon was I think one thirty or 2. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in any case, we kind of discussed mm-hmm. whatever things they mm-hmm. were doing and w- yeah. what I had done. And then I just asked him that, okay, would you be willing to, you know, would would it be okay for me to do an internship, mm-hmm. like this summer? or so mm-hmm. whatever? So um, then he said, I mean, he he got confused for a minute, but then he said yes. Okay. And <laughs> he got confused. <laughs> <laughs> because that wasn't like the original okay, plan okay, of okay. the whole yeah. thing, right? So. But so yeah, directly paid <laughs> internship. Yeah, so the internship was unpaid, just by the way. Okay. Yeah, sure. okay, it was so unpaid. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, and that's because I asked him in like mid-April. Hmm. So, even we weren't sure that, you know, would I this get my visa okay. by the time. Because my start date at that time was May 15th. Mm-hmm. And getting US visa for an internship yeah, yeah. in one month is no, it takes time. Impossible. It's
2: not tough for us yeah. especially. It's tough. For like internships
1: yeah, yeah. and jobs, J1 is J1 visa. It's it's probably the toughest visa yeah. to get because they don't want. It's more selective than Howard. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. Pretty sure the
2: rejection rate is quite high. <coughs> it might be, but not. It's lesser than five percent for sure. Yeah, but Howard's Howard selection, selection rate, rate be?
1: might be too low. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was the whole. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so since we did not know, I'd have also like, you know, applied for GSOC. So mm-hmm. and that apparently, you know, I got that. And I had zero expectations of getting that.
0: Yeah, talk about GSOC for, for yeah. some time. Tell for, tell a, me, for a for a first year or a
1: second year write who's listening to this, how do you get into GSOC? GSOC actually first year right I think it's a bit hard unless mm-hmm. you've started <clears throat> you started coding, you know it's before like first. Year
0: five so. years ago there was a first year right who God g
1: sog yeah there was this guy i don't I don't remember his name, but uh, he got like I think he got directly placed in Apple or something in Europe or some somewhere I don't know, but he had done G soc in first year
0: okay mm-hmm.
1: so yeah, even I know a guy in Pilani. Pilani
0: campus
1: yeah, I know him yeah, so he did his G soc in first year now he's in, uh, uh, I don't remember his name I don't remember his name, but I think now he's in Facebook Menlo Park.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's only his fourth year. So
0: oh, that yeah. guy is in second year right now. GSoC
1: can yeah, definitely put you places mm-hmm. easily for a first year. Right. If you do not know coding, I think it's a bit hard to yeah. get mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's too I much mean, of what exactly is
2: GSoC? Like a lot of people confuse it between, you know, competitive coding but it isn't exactly competitive code. Mm. Can you just clarify? So,
1: GSOC, essentially what happens is you get selected to contribute to an organization. Mm. You don't, you get selected based on your proposal. Mm. So, and then what happens is you have to work according to your proposal. Mm. If you, whatever, you know, so usually they have some sort of problem that they want students to work on. Mm. They're not as hard as the ones they work on. And not as easy as the ones which they tell beginners to work on, mm-hmm. but the key thing to understand here is that beginners, uh, you know, solving issues in a massive code base for beginners is very easy. Usually, mm-hmm. obviously, it takes time to understand and you know navigate your yeah. way through the code base, mm-hmm. but it's not that hard. But working and implementing and changing something in the code base as a university student for a very large organization and they accept that change. Mm-hmm. This is a huge thing which mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Because so even let's talk about the project that ha- I had. Mm. So
0: you went to research organization right? And that's yeah. even harder than like Mozilla.
1: It's actually I don't know why I, I think I I can't I kind of find research and software development organizations to have the same kind of work, but mm-hmm. as in obviously what you're doing at the end of the day is different mm. like you do have to research when you do the you know software engineering part as well mm-hmm. so it's not that much different mm-hmm. but yeah so usually research organizations can ask you to you know implement a paper or whatever mm-hmm. into their system okay. so mine was to essentially port the put the already existing solutions and make it library safe, essentially not library safe. That's not in, that's no word, but so, I mean, I can use t- technical word, but I don't want to. Mm-hmm. So one of them is like thread safe. Thread safe is essentially, if you're doing multi-threading, then mm-hmm. you don't want, um, from, um, different threads to, you know,
3: yeah. get like intertwined mm-hmm. or whatever,
1: mm-hmm. so yeah, these kind of things you have to take care of. So. Yeah, this was a research project, but I mean, it was a research organization, but I don't see much of, you know, what people expect from research yeah. to be happening in that project.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you choose CERN? Uh, I mean, it was,
1: it was pretty easy for me. I was working on the project that proposed. I, I was working on that since five or six months already. Oh. So, and I think the other guy who applied for project for mm-hmm. that project not the other guy, I think the other guys, guys. who applied <laughs> yeah. for, uh, for that project, mm. they had forked my repository to show their work
3: oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: on GitHub. So, I think like, when I was applying, I was kind of, okay, you know what, I think I'm in a good standing to yeah. get this project. <laughs> but then, you know, I kind of forgot in the middle. So, what I told them was, You forgot about GSOC. Yeah, because, for a month you don't know what's going to happen oh.
0: how early did you start for uh in into the code base like talking with the mentors? Code base i
1: did not did not even start so usually it depends on what ta- task they require so mm-hmm. they require you to do for, for me it wasn't anything related to to, to the code base mm-hmm. but usually they do require you know people to go through their code base or whatever yeah. for me it wasn't that's why I started looking at the code base after I got selected.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But so the general advice is like you have to start early enough so that you can yeah. build a relationship with the mentor. Right. So that then mm-hmm. you can leverage that afterwards.
1: Yeah. But that's after you know things mm-hmm. in general. So mm-hmm. if you start coding in first year, yeah, I think it's pretty hard to get in first year unless... All you do every day, what you do is just coding yeah. and, you know, different projects, different computer mm-hmm. coding or machine learning, everything. Mm. You're just doing that every single day. Yeah, yeah. Then, I, then it might be possible. I'm not saying it's not possible. Mm-hmm. So what are the prereqs for GSOC? I, I think, think it
2: depends being. a lot. Right? Honestly, like, I mean... At least
1: in your case. Oh, like I'll, I'll speak generally. I think you yeah. need a good understanding of object-oriented programming in at least one language. Mm-hmm. I did not know... In C plus plus I knew in Python. Mm-hmm. But I think the mentor. You didn't know Python? Op- I knew Python, okay. I know, not Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I knew basically C plus Everybody mm-hmm. knows yeah, main, okay, main well, blah, blah, yeah. blah printer. C whatever. and C out. Yeah. So oh yeah, C and C out, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So Um later on so what happened was the mentors the mentors were kind of the mentors were kind of okay with me not knowing C as much. Mm-hmm. Because uh I mean, I knew Python a lot mm-hmm. because I had written, I had written a lot of classes and all those things in Python. Mm-hmm.
0: Methods and classes.
1: I did. I done. I mean, that's not the end of OOP, but I had done a lot of OOP in Python mm-hmm. because, so it was pretty clear from my GitHub projects because mm-hmm. most of them required multiple classes, multiple yeah. files, multiple, you know, those things. Mm-hmm. So. So th- I think that that's what that's why, that's what the reason was for them being okay about me, you know, not like not what sort developers. of
2: projects did you work on using Python?
1: I had a lot, I had a lot of mini projects. Which are the ones What's that you're your most favorite? proud of? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at that point in time. <laughs> um so there was this at that point in time I was very proud of neural voice cloning. Okay. Yeah. The only problem in that project is that we never actually had um so we had we had to actually train our model on I think like one eight twenty GBs of data. Hmm. Wow. So, eight twenty GBs. Yeah. And we could obviously never do that. Yeah. We had we had this shorter eighteen GB data hmm. that we just trained it on and like kind of overfitted the model and just posted hmm. that on GitHub. So I mean it was kind of a hack, but um
0: where did you train it it on like
1: Kaggle or something? No, Colab. We had okay. no credits nothing. Mm-hmm. There's this Kosambi GPU over here but the CUDA libraries that they have in that is like three of now it's probably even 6 or 7 years old. Oh my god. Oh. The f- maybe like the first or second generation of CUDA not here not in bad, campus not, not that old. yeah. Okay. Yeah but the so essentially yeah that.
4: Mm.
1: Let's talk about that later mm. because <laughs> I think the campus is getting a lot of upgrades I think. Okay. Anyway so yeah, um, neural voice cloning number one. Mm. Um,
0: well, did you use Pytorch or TensorFlow, or did you I just PyTorch
1: PyTorch. PyTorch. Pytorch? Pytorch, because TensorFlow was TensorFlow. It was one that time. Mm. Right now, it is like TensorFlow. two it's, it's a lot better.
2: What's better
1: now? Now,
0: <laughs> TensorFlow.
1: It's for a, actually, the thing is, right oh, now.
2: for a beginner to get started. Oh, for a beginner to get started, definitely I, Pytorch. Okay, and then later on, as you move forward,
1: yeah, you should learn TensorFlow. Because TensorFlow is really good. Just the fact that, you know, it's... So there's this thing about... I don't know if you know about static graphs and dynamic graphs. Mm-hmm. So PyTorch builds it graphs and, you know, all the execution and everything for that language in C++ mm-hmm. in dynamically. Mm. But TensorFlow does that statically. So there's oh. a set variables of graphs. And that can only exist unless you make some sort of way to change it Mm-hmm. Of that will only exist and why that's good is because it's much much faster and mm. and uh, there's a lot of reasons it's much much faster than you can do if you want to export the model and compress it and deploy it on a model
2: I heard like pytorch is easier to learn as compared yeah, to pytorch
1: learn. is much easier to learn the documentation is really good but TensorFlow yeah. documentation sucks <laughs> it sucks bad it's not even so like bad. updated
2: I think
0: for 2.2 yeah, some things yeah. are not <laughs> updated
1: so TensorFlow yeah is bad in that sense but if you want to be like good in ML and if you want industries and everyone mm-hmm. to recognize that then you should definitely learn TensorFlow
0: you are doing right now in TensorFlow right for uh, the current projects that, that you are working on
1: no but yeah I mean I do both now so mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. TensorFlow or Python so but yeah if I want to like prototype if I'm like checking some sort of algorithm or okay, is what I'm proposing, is my hypothesis true or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. That I definitely do in PyTorch. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just so comfortable with PyTorch right now. PyTorch is very Pythonic. TensorFlow, yeah. it feels like you're writing another language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. Because tensor, as a first year right, you cannot understand TensorFlow or TF.Session. I what was does, just what using if, yeah. if you If you've done... A CS student from third year can understand it very well. Because... TensorFlow is very compiler-based. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing about sessions, execution, all these things exist in compilers. Basically, so what do we do in, you know, so you know, you guys must have written C++ codes, right? Yeah. You write the code, then mm-hmm. you compile, compile it, then, it then, you then, then you execute That's it. what TensorFlow does. Mm-hmm. It'll compile, it'll, you know, send it to like C++ format and then okay. it'll execute that or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very much like, um compilers. But mm-hmm. compilers is I mean it's a re there's a reason it's a three two course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so yeah, TensorFlow one even you know TensorFlow two is it's definitely good, but mm-hmm. at some point you need to understand these you know details about mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. But the thing with PyTorch is it keeps deep learning first. And mm-hmm. you know it keeps up with the expectation that you are writing Python at the end of the day. Mm.
2: How is machine learning different from deep learning? A lot of people like seem to Deep learning is between. like a
0: subset of machine learning, right? If I'm yeah. not
2: wrong,
0: it's but like multiple
2: layers.
1: Right. Deep learning is. I mean, now nowadays, I think deep learning has become its own category. Mm. But yeah. Deep learning is essentially. I mean, this is this is a, like this is like the start most start. argument most argument, deep. argumented argumentative question mm. right yeah. now. Uh, because I think crazy number of people are arguing about it. Even like the Turing Award winners, except <laughs> one of them. And so deep learning, in my opinion, is just, um, you know, these uh, deep models which exist, you know, things like neural networks, um, which have like layers of... Mm. Perception or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's obviously different models. There's mm-hmm. Boltzmann machines and all those things. Yeah. But that also come under deep learning. Transformers are coming up recently. Yeah. So yeah, that's neural networks only. Mm-hmm. Boltzmann machines do not... Like they have different... Altogether different uh, way of learning than mm-hmm. neural mm-hmm. networks. So yeah, so I, th- I think like... When you have like layers of perception or understanding... Then you can call it deep learning. Okay. Okay. Because you're kind of, you know, building hierarchical features mm-hmm. at different levels. And that's why you can call it deep. Mm-hmm. And machine learning is just, you know, machine le- le- learning is such a generic term. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. <laughs> kind of applies to anything that's smart. In linear right? regression. Mm.
2: Okay, so let's go a little bit off topic. So I work closely with chatbots. What are your views on chatbots? Are they really helping businesses?
1: I think, I mean, they're. It's really hard to answer these questions Mm -hmm. because even when you have data to, you know, answer these questions, you can like correlate different things with different answers. So, Mm -hmm. um, the thing with chatbots is, uh, they're obviously helpful, but, uh, they're not, you know, uh, they cannot exist on their own. That's what I'm saying. True. So Someone would talk to a chatbot mm-hmm. if they have, if, let's say, if they're having a problem on their, uh, whatever software mm-hmm. or whatever.
0: There's a chatbot I recently was looking up to. I don't remember the name, but it was like, uh, you talk to it. It's like a friend of yours. It's like an app that you talk to. Uh, you tell that I had a bad day and my friend ditched on me or something. So, and then it's like, okay, fine. Uh, and then it remembers that. Yeah. And the next day it'll again, bug you like, hello, how are you? What happened today? Something. Mm.
1: Yeah, and so people get hooked to that. Right, exactly. So, yeah, chatbots, you need a prior, first of all, to, you know, build that chatbot upon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Once you can have that prior, then, yeah, it's kind of helpful. It's what definitely, you, like, helpful to have, like, an automated service rather than, okay, calling the call center. Yeah, mm-hmm. so either. you're saying
2: a hybrid between humans and chatbots is the best combination for, say, customer Probably, service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for you,
1: customer services where they require a human. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's say you're a media organization. Mm-hmm. People often like, you know, they can talk to chatbots. I mean they can, you know, use a chatbot just to um throw some updates on exactly the mm-hmm. products some or whatever. The there you don't the need a human. Yeah. But yeah, for customer service, all those things, yeah, it
2: should be a hybrid. Yeah. What are your views on voice spots like maybe Alexa
1: or Google Assistant? So views, like, what are you expecting? Um,
0: (laughs) Going forward into the next decade.
1: Do you see, do I see them as,
2: like, you know. As the next big tech, as the new revolution, as a new
1: internet. I think the level of uh, understanding and perception that they're reaching with um, voice bots and chatbots right now. Mm. It'll be kind of hard to supersede that. Mm Mm-hmm so it will definitely uh, so now it's it's the job of software engineers to put them in some sort of package to yeah. you know if if it's very very sellable mm-hmm. and that's only because software engineers or research engineers can point out the good things about that mm-hmm. and uh, make it in a really make it into a really good product mm-hmm. if they can do that and so that's that's what will separate them from you know generic voice bots or chat bots i think
0: like but if you can have like say I, i'm like okay google i want a lawyer okay and uh, the number one lawyer that it picks up yeah the guy gets it right
1: yeah yeah exactly so that is a field so, that is coming up right so that actually requires a lot of software engineering mm. people think that okay the machine learning might, model might have just predicted that or whatever mm. but it's a lot of software engineering so uh it's definitely, so it will probably be voice bots. I mean, they might, you know, whatever, explode or whatever, but mm-hmm. the reason they might explode is probably software engineers doing their job really, really well. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think voice bots will get a lot better, at least in the next 10 years. Why do you I think don't know. So? If I didn't. Because.
0: The sediment to computation or something?
1: This is No, not that. Probably because. Uh, the re- level of, you know, intelligence that we're, re- that we're reaching with voice bots mm-hmm. and chat bots, it's kind of saturated. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of saturating. You can mm-hmm. definitely have something that's, you know, mm-hmm. really, really well, really, really better. Sorry. Mm-hmm. We, we can never predict that, but yeah. I think, um, so even the complex models right now, let's talk about chat bots. The com- most complex model that you can use behind the chatbot bot is bot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to, But to, you know, better BERT, you need crazy amount of understanding for, of NLP Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, machine learning in general and deep learning, but that does not, you know, come so easily Mm -hmm. because if it, if it did, people would have beaten and, you know, better BERT already, Mm -hmm. but it's been two years and, you know, BERT is like industry standard, research standard. Okay,
0: what are some of the applications of uh, deep learning that you are uh, looking forward to like you're really enthusiastic about those?
1: Probably the most that I'm excited about is uh, climate change climate change yeah I'm working with one of the professors here on that, but mm-hmm. um, it's very interesting that's what the thing is um, with climate change you cannot you know just directly say that. Uh, okay, so for image classifiers, you know, it's very simple. Mm. Not for image classifiers, you know, which who are trained, which are trained on like simple dogs, cats, or whatever. Yeah. They're like very simplistic and mm. okay. This is an image of a dog. Oh, classified. Mm. But with climate change and satellite imagery and it's all a lot those more things, complex. yeah, the problem is much more complex. You mm. cannot just you know classify something. How mm-hmm. can you classify something? Let like, yeah, you can do something like. Um, mapping trees Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. but then you know it requires a lot of human work as well before (laughs) so 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 there was this project that I saw from from a Stanford guy I think his name is um, I don't remember his name anyway so his project was essentially so what they did was they mapped satellite imagery to some sort of um Information that they scraped from Wikipedia Mm -hmm. locations. Mm -hmm. So that's very very you know intelligent of that person to do it Mm -hmm. in the first place. Because okay let's say you have some satellite imagery data how do you label this? How do you annotate this? You cannot. It's too hard.
0: If you have previous uh, images of hurricanes and stuff like then you might be able to predict it.
1: Right right. That's one thing. Mm. So what I'm I'm saying is generally, let's say you have an image of a city or something, let's say even a farm or mm-hmm. a street. Mm. you have lots of images of it and you want to do something on those images. It's not that easy. It's not as easy as, you know, telling, a po- telling, you know, building a data set like cats versus dogs, mm. because there are a lot of yeah. factors to mm-hmm. consider. So... So the thing is that solutions in these domains are very intelligent and they require a lot of thinking because things are not that easily available Mm -hmm. in this domain, especially. But I think deep learning um, generally, you know, it's very interesting to see when people apply it to new things Mm -hmm. in general, because it's, you know, it's very general, wherever you have a complex system, you can replace it with a neural network. Mm -hmm. That's probably better if you have the data. It's okay. recently been
0: applied to race racing, Formula One racing. Yeah. To tell them if they should pit or not.
1: Hmm. If it's the optimal time to yeah, pit. Yeah, yeah, on.
0: yeah. Using reinforcement learning. Yeah. But tell me a little about your recent uh, that quantum reinforcement learning paper that you got published Quantized. today. Quantized. Right? Quantized.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Quantized reinforcement learning. The paper is about um, what can you do. Does reinforcement, essentially the paper answers, does reinforcement learning when you have very, con, very resource constrained mm-hmm. devices or, you know, chips or whatever. Okay. So, because let's say you want to send a drone into a mine or something, mm-hmm. you know, to do some sort of task. Let's mm-hmm. say, okay, there's some human stuck, you want to find in. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a drone just run for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, right? So, plus it's very, the environment is very resource constrained in the first yeah. place. So, um, the thing with quantized reinforcement learning is we un- we kind of answer the question that, um, when your drone is very, very small and it does not have a lot of energy mm-hmm. battery, basically mm-hmm. does not have a lot of compute, does not have something like NVIDIA Jetson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It relies on typical RAM, mm-hmm. CPU, you know, software how can you kind of you know extend deep reinforcement learning algorithms mm-hmm. in those domains recently so tensor
0: flow lite is also coming up for right so essentially
1: what we do up. is like we just use quantization mm. and we kind of better the whole scenario so now it's using So you're making a times. qubit or something no this is not t- nothing what to does, do with what what does
0: what does quantize mean then
1: quantize essentially means uh let's say you have a signal yeah okay now, you can quantize it by taking, you know, points at on that signal mm. so, to represent that whole signal mm. rather than having like a, you know, sampling rate of 10,000 hertz. You take only specific points on that whole signal to represent that whole signal. Okay. So what, how does this apply to deep learning? Mm-hmm. Essentially, you take the neural network weights, you convert them from FP32 precision to INT8 so now your memory usage is four times less, mm-hmm. and if you're lucky, then so there's this um, L one cache or cache basic basically mm-hmm. that exists on every you know uh, processor. Yeah. If you can fit that model in your cache, mm-hmm. the memory usage is so less mm-hmm. just because it does not have to access the memory. It's in it's on cache. So, so the memory usage is very very less. So that's what kind of show if you can fit the model on in your cache mm-hmm. by some sort of compression or quantization or reducing your uh, memory. Then mm-hmm. it's really helpful, and yeah. So the thing with this, uh, this another advantage this has is that um, since it's on your cache, it's much much faster. So there's this concept of control loop rate mm-hmm. in a drone. Essentially, you know how much. There's a whole control loop, right? You take an action based on whatever. Mm-hmm. So how much time is that taking? So we kind of increase the control loop rate to, I think, around 18 times fit okay. fit, if we can fit it on cache. Mm-hmm. But that's generally variable for different chips.
2: Yeah. Cool. So before we wrap up, how do you manage so many things? How does yeah, a day exactly. in the life of Shadrath <laughs> look like?
1: Uh, I don't attend lectures, first of all. I used to not handle lectures Okay, I'll recently started yeah. why, why was no that no lectures at all <laughs> I mean I have to maintain my CGPA that's all yeah but you
0: uh, what is the CGPA 7.64 right
1: now 7.64 decent it's decent you want yeah. to get like 8 8 plus.
0: 8 plus 8 plus yeah and you can still get that that much like yeah. you can increase that much
1: I can but let's see
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then how does your might not, not be practical so Do you sleep <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously <laughs> yeah <realized> so
1: <laughs> yeah usually till now how it worked is not attend lectures mm. but obviously I attend labs and all those things because they're compulsory and have, they're marked mm-hmm. but uh, labs would usually the thing with good the good thing with bits is that if you can prepare really well for your quizzes yeah all those things then you know you kind of the small know, things add up yeah you kind of know what's you know going to happen in the mid-sem or mm. the compri or whatever. Because they structure the quizzes that way. But last semester, I totally <laughs> messed that up and I did not, you know, do well in the quizzes. Mm. And therefore, I did not do well in mid-sem and compri. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, this sem it's somewhat, yeah, I kind of attend lectures. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's most, pretty much... Um, just, you know, what I kind of want to work on.
0: How much time do you devote to reading uh, research papers? And um, what resources do you use for researching for papers?
1: Resources, uh, it depends a lot because there's no. Uh, for the thumbnail. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, resources, it depends a lot on the, you know, what kind of, what the project is because. I mean there's obviously I usually just google things Mm -hmm. but uh, usually the thing with me right now is that um, I still have obviously a lot to learn so you know um, usually I would start by so I have I'm on uh, so I have a twitter account where I follow like 500 or 600 researchers yeah and uh, they post you can you get at least three papers Okay. You know, Mm -hmm. from every day (laughs) from those guys.
0: Every day they are releasing? Some, you know, someone might, Mm -hmm. you
1: know, basically, you get three or four research papers for a day. Okay. So, that's what I start by, start off by. Mm -hmm. Then it would be other things. Okay. Let's say, if if it's something related to the project, I just usually Google. Mm -hmm. Google works pretty well. Mm -hmm. I don't... Works well for every program. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that for my whole of GSOC, so I know.
0: For <laughs> well, someone who is starting off in machine learning, uh, would you recommend uh, to use PyTorch or uh, or like uh, start from making a neural network in plain Python? PyTorch. PyTorch.
1: Definitely PyTorch. Then Why
0: do you recommend me to make it like from scratch, neural networks?
1: That's because that's so that you understand what's happening. Yeah,
0: so like uh, you should do that, right?
1: I mean I thought you were asking you know for a beginner who wants to you know just experiment yeah, I have a beginner things. So I didn't know so your goal was to learn right yeah. that that was the whole point of the assignment mm-hmm. So that's why we wanted you know mm-hmm. So usually we we don't have these questions usually you know we have these we have this numpy neural network question mm-hmm. and we have a harder question and we have like a third some question which is different This time we had all three questions are different. Mm-hmm. None of them required to use NumPy, mm-hmm. just NumPy. But um, why we did not do that was because I think there's probably more than a million repositories on NumPy neural network. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, we can obviously test the guy for, mm-hmm. you know, knowing if they know or not. But I think the optimizer study, if one could have done that, if someone did that, then we... Act- we definitely know that you know mm-hmm. he's really he's really good because he spent the time on doing that mm-hmm. because uh even for i think us we'll probably take like four or five hours to do that it's definitely easier because you've deal with, dealt with all those yeah, optimizers yeah. but it takes time to so that was the whole point of the assignment mm-hmm. you know continuous hard work
0: What are your future plans like after graduation
1: most probably, like, definitely research. Research.
0: Where do you see yourself in five years?
1: <laughs> uh, probably pursuing a PhD. Okay. Probably. Mm-hmm. We never know, though.
0: You won't go for placements?
1: No, no. Most probably not. Mm-hmm. If I'm Even if I'm going for placements, it probably might be for a research-based. But in any case, placement unit won't let me send because of my CGPF. Oh, because you are? Because of my CGBF. Oh, I think they have uh, eight as their placement unit for placements. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you're an electronic student and you want to sit for CS. Eight oh, is a,
0: okay. Yeah, but you can score it, right? Let's see. <laughs> if you, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Fingers yeah, crossed.
1: <laughs> yeah. The thing is this time I have uh, a few relevant courses, mm-hmm. like the, but did you, you get the
0: CDCs for <coughs> like uh, minor in data? Yeah. Skills. Yeah. If you're an
1: electronic student, then you cannot, you cannot cannot hope to get them. (laughs) You cannot rely... Even
0: after having a good PR.
1: Yeah. No, you don't get an option. Oh. There's no
0: option for choosing for...
1: Yeah, so, the thing with neural networks and fuzzy logic and machine learning, those Mm. two courses are that they're taken by CS faculty. Yeah. So, they have their, you know, control over who will get to do them or whatever. Mm. But... uh, that's what I don't like the registration it's pretty messed up mm-hmm. anyway. it's so the machine learning course. anyone can take it right?
0: You can sit in the class, I think, like no. I sat in a in a bunch of so classes in our
1: three one what happened was the c s guys did not have a lot of electives mm-hmm. to take, so what they did were what they did to solve that problem was that they took the machine learning and n f l Courses which are like, you know, even disciplinary lectures for electronic students and yeah. made them into CS only courses. Mm. Oh. So, basically that, you know, electronic student cannot take it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, that's kind of problematic. So, that's what the thing with il- being in electronics is that you have to look out for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. CS, there's the there's a whole department looking after you. I mean, yeah, obviously in the triple e department looks after you but Mm -hmm. i'm talking about the people who want to you know change fields yeah yeah myself
0: okay Sharad, thank you so much for coming for the podcast it's amazing
2: having you good luck for seattle hope it goes to new heights
0: oh yeah by the way why is it so unknown in the campus is it why don't you build a hype or something? Such or something? an
1: elite club. Right? I, yeah. The thing, we don't want it's like to. Like a secretive
0: know. club that has some. T- why,
1: why, why do you want us to build all that exactly. hype? I
0: don't know, more people it's will... We live. have
1: to just review more applicants. Yeah. We want to keep SEDL only to people who can, you know, competent people. Basically. People that are willing to do research. Yeah, and spend, you know, daily efforts into mm. doing what they're doing. So most people in SEDL, I think they're putting like really good effort. Mm -hmm. So I think two guys have given interviews for MIT, two guys have given, three guys have given for CMU Mm. and yeah, that's just... And they got
0: that just by uh, sending emails to professors.
1: And having good projects in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I can, there's a, so... When you're applying for research internships, internships, your CGPA won't matter. Mm. Especially through email. Okay. I'm talking about only through email. Mm-hmm. Like the unofficial way. Mm-hmm. If there's an official portal, then your def- CGPA will be definitely looked at. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if you're applying through email, then the only thing that will matter is the projects that you have. Mm. And what you did in that project. So, and I think our campus is not particularly that well equipped with professors to, you know, do or guide people on this. So, and this, that's why it kind of requires a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of the whole point of, you know, said being so
0: closed and
1: yeah, not so, you know, I don't know, very (laughs) like
0: DevSock and
1: yeah, basically, you know, up in the audience or whatever. (laughs) Is the fact that if someone wants to pursue AI or ML mm-hmm. so bad, mm. they'll have to, they can obviously do the, on their yeah. own. Yeah. But they can obviously come to us because mm-hmm. we are similar and yeah. like minded people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When are applications opening up? Summers. We have one in, one assignment in winter and one assignment in summers.
0: Yeah. All right, Saras. Uh, thank you so much for he coming. We got
1: in our outreach group. We'll what is that uh, group we'll about? We'll train you now. Oh. And once you're trained, if you're good. You
0: train my model.
1: <laughs> we'll train you, we'll give you tasks and once you can do that, then we'll take you in.
0: I hope to join it <laughs> soon. That was my agenda for this year.
1: Yeah, I saw your <laughs> out of context. Where did you, to... yeah, out of
0: context. I wonder why don't they put my name in there. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> mind it. Okay, Shara, thank you for coming. No problem. So that was Shara Chitlangia and Hari Shuthya Kumar. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Again, let me know what you think about it uh, by reaching out to me on social media at ishansharma7390. And uh, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this interview. And all right, I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.